we are going to talk about uh, one of the hardest subjects that there is to talk about today. Um, and, but I think it's one of the most needed. I would tell you that I believe this is the most needed subject today in the church, but it's one of the ones that's talked about the least. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to go right in. Hopefully at this point you know me enough uh, that you know I'm, we're going we're gonna to talk about the hard stuff. We're going to talk about the, fun, the stuff that's not so fun to talk about. We will talk about some fun stuff <laughs> sometimes. So maybe in the future we will. But we are going to talk about the hard stuff because it's important. Uh, we need to talk about the difficult things that, are, that are, we're dealing with and that we're struggling with so that we can move forward and we can grow together. So today's message is called Real Struggle. Uh, we're going to be in two passages of Scripture, Mark chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I would encourage you that you turn to at least one of those, probably the one in Mark, uh, if you're going to turn to one. I want to start by telling you a couple of stories, and it's the reasons that I, I feel we're supposed to talk about this today. The first, I want to talk about a pastor named Andrew Stockling. He was a 30-year-old pastor in California. Uh, and he struggled with mental illness. He struggled with depression and anxiety uh, to a major extent, to the point where one, one Sunday morning, Easter Sunday actually, he's a, it's a mega church in California, and they had seven services they were going to do. Uh, and they found him up at, at one of the rooms upstairs, and he was having a panic attack so bad he was shaking, and he couldn't, he couldn't breathe. He, he, was, he, was, he was freaking out upstairs. And they ended up talking him down, and they, they calmed him down, and he ended up preaching that day. But after that morning, his elders got together and said, okay, we need you to take four months sabbatical. You need to take this time and you need to get healing and you need to, you need to uh, talk to Jesus about these struggles that you're having with depression and with anxiety. And, and he struggled. He continued to struggle. But he came back after four months and preached one Sunday morning. And it was about mental illness. He talked about his struggle, what he was in. It was a sermon called Hot Mess. And he struggled and, and, and talked about his struggles. Twelve days later, Andrew committed suicide, and he left behind a, a wife and three children, Brave, Jethro, and Smith. I also want to tell you a little bit about somebody named Sarah Mary Elizabeth Dotson, who is my sister. Uh, I want to read you something that she wrote. Sarah is a brilliant uh, writer. I almost said artist, but that's not it. She's a brilliant writer. Uh, she writes things that you, you'll just tear up reading. She said, a live monster chokes me with memories of mirrors and mistakes. I so clearly see the desperate little girl I used to be. Black eyes, black heart, black is my color. Monster takes my mind, voice loudly taunting, yesterday flaunting. A word written in condemnation, perverse and yellowed with cessation, guilt. My door is bolted shut with me shut in, worthless, he whispers. Please get me out. His friends join him. Useless, needless, hopeless, die. At once they mock, surrender. Today we're going to talk about the very difficult subject of mental illness. And we're talking about depression and about suicide. I'm going to tell you that this is a very, very hard subject, and I know that. And I recognize that there are people in this room that have struggled with this. There are people in this room that are struggling with this. There's people in this room that know somebody who struggled with this that knows somebody who's passed away that struggled with this. And so I want to tell you that we're going to approach this with grace. And we're going to approach this looking through the eyes of Scripture. But I want to pray before we get started. I want to pray over us. I want to pray over our hearts. And I want to pray that the enemy leaves us alone this morning because there's no place for that here. Jesus, we love you. And we are so thankful 
that you are, you are a God of grace and you're a God who, of mercy who meets us just where we're at. And so, Father, we just pray this morning that you would be with us as we talk, talk about this, this tough subject. Lord, we pray that you would be here, that you would be present with us this morning. God, guard our hearts. I pray that the enemy knows he has no place to speak here. Lord, if there's anything I'm supposed to say, uh, I pray that you would bring it to my mind. If there's anything I'm not supposed to say, I pray that you would shut my mouth. But Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are the God of comfort. And I just pray that over us this morning, that if there's any, any feelings uh, that come up, Lord, I just pray that you would comfort us. I pray that you would comfort us and bring us peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that for some of you, this feels like, well, why are we talking about this? Why is this something that we're talking about? Why is this important? And I'm going to read you some statistics right now, and I want to show you why this is important, why this is relevant for you. I believe this message is relevant for every single person here, and we're going to talk about why. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in 2019. 10th leading cause of death. In 2017, it was estimated that there were 1.4 million suicide attempts in the United States. 1.4 million suicide attempts in the United States. Those are the ones that are known, not the ones that are unknown, not the ones that that were uh, mistaken, not the ones that that was a a mistaken diagnosis. 1.4 million suicide attempts that are known. On average, there are 129 suicides that happen every single day. And this number every year keeps getting higher and higher. Every year that number goes up. They also say that one in three will struggle with depression or anxiety in their life. One in three. So I want you to take a second and look to the person at your left. Physically do this. Physically turn to your left. There's a person there. Physically turn to your right. Well, if you're in a row of two, there might not be a person there. But you know. Between the three of you, studies show that one of you is dealing with this. That means that there are between 25 and 30 people in this room that are struggling with this. This is why it's important. This is not a a subject that needs to be swept under the rug. It's a subject that actually has been swept under the rug too long, and people are suffering in silence because of it. And we want to be forerunners and come out and say, we're breaking the silence on this, and we're going to talk about this. And we're going to be open, and we're going to be honest that this is a struggle, and this is a real struggle. This is not something just people being emotional. This is a real struggle. And we're going to talk about it, and we're going to be open and honest. This is why it's important that we talk about it. Also, this is something that affects kids. I read, this is is just crazy that the Lord brought this somehow to my Facebook page this week. One of my friends shared it, but that one in eight kids struggle with an anxiety disorder, a diagnosable anxiety disorder. But often, it's mistaken for something else. It's mistaken for, for, oh, they're scared of the dark, or, oh, they're scared of this. But the trauma that comes from that, literally one in eight kids have a diagnosable case of anxiety. This is, this is something we need to take seriously. This is something we need to go head on, hit it right on the head so that we can talk about it. And I feel that this, this has come kind of taboo. I feel like it's, it's almost a, a scary subject to approach, not even just in the church, but just in life. We get, it's, it's a very taboo subject, but that's part of the reason that, that we struggle with this is because we're, ta- we're approaching it as, as it's taboo instead of just saying, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this and get to the bottom of it. and Let's, let's consult with Jesus about this, the ultimate teacher. Let's talk to him about it. So we want to do that today. 
I normally have three points, and you know that. Today, I think I have like 40, (laughs) but really only four main ones that I want you to take away today. First things first, you are not alone, nor were you meant to be alone. You are not alone, nor were you meant to be alone. The first thing that the enemy wants you to do, and this is, this is with mental illness and this is with every other struggle that you'll ever have, the first thing that he wants you to do is isolate yourself. He wants you to pull yourself way back because if you pull yourself back, you begin to destroy yourself for him. You begin to take yourself and, oh, well, no one's around me. But that's, that's what we do. We isolate when we get uncomfortable. We isolate when we, when we start to struggle. We pull back. And that's the first thing that the enemy wants you to do. And he wants you to believe you're completely alone. You are completely alone. You're the only one struggling with this. The statistics I just read you should, A, prove a point that you're not the only one that's struggling with this. And that should comfort your heart in, in, a, in a weird way that you are not alone. And you need to hear that. You're not alone. Again, odds are there's between 25 and 30 people in this room that are struggling with this right now. And we don't want it to be silent anymore. We don't, want to su- we don't want to suffer in silence. We need to break that silence, tackle this thing head on. I don't want you to suffer. Jesus doesn't want you to suffer. Let's tackle this thing. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, so many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof and Jesus, above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. There are several things in this passage, several important things in this passage that we need to take. There's, you can read this passage like a hundred different times and take a hundred different things away, but we're going to talk again about, specifically about mental illness. There's several things that you can take away. People carried the paralytic to Jesus. He couldn't do it alone. He didn't, he didn't do it by himself, and it is literally impossible for him to do it by himself. He could not have done that. Jesus wasn't disgusted by that fact. When, when they showed up and they lowered him down, he wasn't mad. He, he, he didn't look at the paralytic and say, well, why didn't you get help? He, 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 didn't, he, he was so happy that they were there and that they brought him. In fact, I'm going to tell you, this is my belief. I think that Jesus ordained before time began those four friends to carry that man to Jesus. I believe that. They carried him to Jesus, not against his will but for His will. They carried Him so that He could find healing. He could be healed. There is a stigma regarding mental health that says it's a bad thing to get help. 
It's a bad thing to get therapy. It's a bad thing to go to counseling. It's a bad thing to talk about your struggles. It's a sin to take antidepressants. And I just want to tell you that that's wrong. It is wrong. Somebody needs to tell you it is okay to get help. We're made to depend on other people sometimes. We depend on God first, but sometimes God's process of healing us consists of including other people. It consists of including a therapist, including a counselor. Sometimes that happens. I just want to tell you, it's not wrong to go to a counselor. It's not wrong to get help. I have seen counselors. I, I, I see counselors often. I have people that help me. How do I, how, help me figure out me. Help me figure out the things that I'm struggling with. Help, walk with me through this struggle that I'm dealing with. It's not wrong. God ordained people to help us. He ordained people to help us in our struggles and in our hurts. The Lord does want to heal you of these things, of, of anxiety, of depression, of suicidal thoughts. The Lord does want to heal you. But maybe sometimes His manner of healing looks differently than you want it to. You know, sometimes we just wish, God, I just wish that you would, you would just heal me, just right now, just instant healing. The Lord is in the process of healing you. The second that you pray it, the Lord begins a healing process in you. But sometimes it takes time. I'm here. I need to be there. That's me, per perfect in heaven. My body is perfect. My soul is perfect. My spirit is perfect. But I'm on the way to get there. What that means is it takes time. It's not always just instant healing. It takes time sometimes. And it takes other people sometimes. The Lord does want to heal you. So don't limit him in the way that he can. If the Lord wants to heal you and, and, and reach you through a counselor, let him. If the Lord wants to, to heal you and help, help ease your anxiety with antidepressants, let him. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you. That's his heart for you. Some people say mental illness is, is strictly a spiritual issue, and some people say it is strictly a physical issue, emotional or mental. Both of these are wrong. It is both of these things. If you, I'm going to tell you this, this, is, this has fired me up this week. If you have people in your life, you're struggling with this, and you have people in your life that are telling you, you just need to pray about it. You just need to pray about it. I'm telling you, you do need to pray about it, but they're wrong. It's okay to get help. This is, it, this is not just a spiritual issue. There is physical dynamics that go into this. And if you are the person that's telling people they just need to pray about it instead of seek help, I'm telling you that you're wrong. I'm saying an unpopular opinion. I'm saying, I'm just telling you, that's wrong. When you break your leg, you don't just pray about it. You go to the doctor and you say, please fix this leg. It's hanging off my body. Please fix it. You go to a doctor. This is not just a spiritual thing. If you are telling people that they just need to pray about their issues, I, you need to talk to the Lord about that because it's not true. This is, a, this is a spiritual and a physical issue. It's okay to go to the doctor. It's okay to get help. There are spiritual things 
that God can do to heal you and aid you in this process. 100%, I believe that. Absolutely. But there are also physical things that can help you heal. Physical things that can help you get to that point. When I had, you know, crazy acid reflux, I, I did pray about that. I did want the Lord to heal me of that because that hurts. It hurts like the dickens. If you've ever had that, it's like, what is even happening in my throat right now? But I didn't just pray about it. I also said, okay, doctor, <laughs> what can we do? I took medicine. You know, you can have your, your, your throat stretch. You can do all these different things when you, have, when you have acid reflux. And it's not bad. The Lord didn't look at me and get mad at me that I didn't just depend on, on prayer to fix it. He was saying, here, here's a doctor. You can use him. It's a good thing. There's a book called The Old Testament Template. It's written by a lady named Landa Cope. Uh, and this is a brilliant book. It's, I'm going to tell you, it's super, super boring. Just straight up honest, very, very boring to read. But so enlightening. And she talks about how often we've created this divide between secular and sacred. That there's some secular things and there's some sacred things. And she says, God uses all of those things. So you don't just have to depend on the sacred when you have a problem. It's okay to depend sometimes on what we call the secular because God's over it all. And so if God wants to help heal you with something, let him. Let him use it. It's okay to get help. God used the four friends of the paralytic so that he could be healed. If those four friends hadn't have helped him get to Jesus, he wouldn't have been healed. He needed people in his life. He needed resources in his life. The Lord can help provide. We are the body of Christ. So this, is a, this means a couple of things. We're the body of Christ. We are one body, it says. What that means is, when you suffer, I suffer. We suffer. We are one body. When one of us isn't, isn't operating the way that we're supposed to, one of us is, is struggling, we all struggle. You're not alone. You need to hear that, and you need to hear it because the enemy is going to again and again tell you you're alone in this. You're not alone. Another thing about being a body, we are physically in bodies, okay? You, are, you physically have a body. What that means is your body is decaying. Every day, your body is getting worse and worse than it was the day before. I got a haircut a couple of weeks ago. You're thinking, really? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did get a haircut. And I looked down after, after she cut my hair, and it was a bunch of gray hair down there. And I was like, what? <laughs> are you kidding me? How, how did that happen? Because our bodies are changing. This, this is a physical issue. You know, they had this app that came out this week called Face App, which if you've been watching the news, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I'm just going to tell you this. If, if Russia, if people in Russia want a picture of me as a really old man, they can have it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care that much. You can have that picture of me. I, that's not going not gonna to bother me. But they have this app where you take a picture of your face, and then you can look, what, look at what you're going to look like when you're like, you know, 100 or something. And it's hilarious. It's this hilarious thing. But it's true. We are going to change. I'm not going to look like a 22-year-old when I'm 90. You're just not. Your body is in the process of change. In a perfect world, in a world without sin, you wouldn't age. In a world without sin, your body wouldn't struggle. 
But because sin is present, our bodies will struggle. So you need to hear your struggle with anxiety and with depression is not your fault. You didn't do something to earn it. I'm going to say, okay, here we go. I'm just getting fired up. <laughs> Jesus does not punish you for your sin. This is, a, this is a very common misunderstanding about the heart of God. Jesus does not punish you for your sin ever regarding this, regarding anything. Here's why. God is just. Sin does require a punishment. It does. But God punished Jesus. He punished Jesus for our sin. He won't punish two people for the same crime. You're not being punished for your sin. People are, are literally saying that sometimes when you do something wrong, God curses you and he hurts you to get your mind around. No. Sin sometimes does have inherent after effects that happen. That is true. But it's not God sitting and punishing you. You're not being punished for your sin. The mental, the mental health issues that you're struggling with are not something that you're doing to yourself. You need to hear that. You didn't do something wrong, so you're being punished. We live in decaying bodies. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes things happen. It's not because you did something wrong. <laughs> but we, as the body of Christ, are here to help each other and to hold each other up, to encourage, to uplift, to challenge each other. That's part of our job. His friends helped him in the story because they loved him. I want you to hear something. Some of you I don't know super well because I haven't been here but for a few months. I don't know you super well. But I want you to know that if you need something, I am here. That is, that is literally why I'm here. The people sitting around you, this is one of the most loving communities I've ever been a part of. I mean, just, it just is. And the people sitting around you would, would want to be here for you and want to help you, would want to carry you, would want to challenge you, but would want to be there with you. It's okay to lean on other people. It's good to lean on other people. You can't do it alone. You are not alone. You are never meant to be alone. We're all going to be on that stretcher at some point. Maybe it's not a, a, a mental health struggle that we're having, but we're all going to be at some point on that stretcher. I, on the count of three, and we're doing this literally, we need to get this idea in our head that we're not alone. On the count of three, if you believe that at some point you're going to be on that stretcher, I want you to say amen out loud on the count of three. We need to hear this. I'm telling you, there's people that need to hear this. Okay, one, two, three. Amen. amen. That was every single person in this room. And if it wasn't, then they're already on the stretcher because they're lying. <laughs> every single person will be on that stretcher at some point. You're not alone. Andrew Stockling was a pastor. He was a pastor. Aren't pastors supposed to have it all together? Pastors aren't supposed to struggle. Pastors aren't supposed to sin. Pastors are supposed to be this, this perfect, they have a perfect family life. They have a, a perfect relationship with God. They never hurt. Wrong. It's wrong. Don't be embarrassed by the fact that you're hurting because we all hurt. We all struggle. My sister is a pastor's kid. My sister has, has cerebral palsy, overcame so much in her life. She has a master's degree. She's a teacher. She shouldn't hurt. She shouldn't struggle with anxiety and depression. She shouldn't. 
wrong. We need to break this. Sometimes you even need to physically say out loud, that's wrong. Because you're going to get in your head, the enemy's going to get in your head, and he's going to say, hey, uh, you shouldn't be struggling with this. You did something. You're completely alone. Uh-uh. Back off, boy. That is wrong. And we need to tell him that he's wrong. You're not alone. Okay, the second one. That was a really long first point. We need to get it home. The second one. Shame is not from Jesus. We find it extremely embarrassing to admit that we struggle with this often. And I, I believe that that's part of the reason we don't get help because it's almost a shameful thing. I'm going to tell you, if you feel any shame, it is not from Jesus. There is zero shame from Jesus ever. He will not shame you. If anyone tries to make you feel that, I'm going to tell you, they need to rethink their relationship with Christ and their understanding of his heart because he will never shame you. He will never shame you. Shame is not from him. The Bible says that Jesus teaches us and trains us to walk as a child walks. Okay? I'm not a parent. I've never, I've never been a parent. I've been an uncle. I still am an uncle. <laughs> but I've also worked with kids a lot. And I also just know people. Okay? And if I'm teaching a child how to walk and he takes a couple of steps and falls... I don't pick him up and yell at him in his face for the fact that he fell. Are you kidding me? You fell again? You just don't do it. No, you pick him up and you're so happy that he took two steps. And this is the way God is with us. He doesn't shame us when we hurt. He doesn't shame us when we struggle. He picks us up and he says, we can do it. We can learn. Together, I'm so proud of you for the steps that you've taken. I'm so proud of you for the ways that you've grown. Now let's try again. Let's try again. He doesn't shame you for when you, when you struggle and when you hurt. He just doesn't. The paralytic, after he's healed, even before he's healed, there's no shame that he has. He ran out of that house. He picked up his mat and he was so happy. Jesus didn't shame him. He was so happy that he finally was able to find healing and find help. Don't be ashamed of your hurt. It's okay. It is okay to hurt. But it's also okay to get help. It is, and Jesus wants that for you. The third one, what you suffer from does not define who you are. I'm saying that again because somebody needs to hear that. What you suffer from does not define who you are. The enemy wants you to identify with your hurt and with your, with your pain. He wants you to. He wants that to be literally who you are. It's just, a, it's just a part of me. I'm just this. Hi, I'm Landon, and I'm blank. You know, we, it's like AA. I'm Landon, and I'm an alcoholic. Well, you know what? Biblically, no, you're not. I'm Landon. I was an alcoholic. Now I'm perfect. I'm made perfect in Jesus' sight. He loves me. He cleansed me. He made me new. You're hurt. And your struggle is not what defines you. You are defined by the fact that you are a child of God. And that's the way he sees you. He doesn't see you and just think, oh, it's just somebody who's depressed. He just has anxiety. She just has anxiety. He says, that's my kid. That is my, my kid, my son, my daughter. Your struggle and your hurt is not what defines you. When you begin to believe that that's your, your identifying factor, that that's what defines you, you're going to stay bound. 
you're going to stay bound. We've got to speak. Again, I believe that there's so much power in speaking out loud thing. We talked about this when we were in the armor series, that there's so much power in your words, that just the words that you say. And sometimes when the enemy begins to speak things in your mind, you need to say out loud, no, I am a child of God. I may struggle and I may hurt, but that's not who I am. I am a child of God. That is my identity. I am made perfect in his sight. That is my identity. He wiped away every hurt, every iniquity, every sin. He wiped it away. That's my identity. You are a son and you are a daughter. Your struggle is not what defines you. And lastly, adoption cannot be taken back. This seems like a very strange point to talk about. Fourth, you're thinking, what? (laughs) Wrong notes. No. Adoption cannot be taken back. There are people out there, there are people in the church, almost every person that's saying this is in the church, that say, when people take their life, they go to hell. I need you to hear something. Because often when we talk about stuff like this, we begin to think about, oh, I knew somebody that committed suicide. I knew somebody that struggled really badly. I knew this. I knew that. I'm going to tell you something. There is comfort in knowing that adoption cannot be taken back. Jesus did not adopt you, and then the second you hurt him, he he returned to sender. Adoption works like this. Here's a judge. Here's parent. Here's child. And And the judge looks and he says, Dad, do you want this kid? They're going to hurt you. They're going to mess up. They're going to struggle. They're going to backtalk you. Do you want this kid? And the dad says, more than anything in the world, that's what I want. And they look at the kid and they say, do you want to be in this family? Do you want this person to be your father, to be your mother? Do you want to be a part of this family? Even though they're going to hurt, they're going to mess up sometimes. And the kid says, yeah, I do. Boom, they're family. When that kid messes up, the dad doesn't pick the, pick the kid up and say, uh, Judge, this one's broken. Please, got to get a refund. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do it because you can't, because you're family. That's not the way Jesus is with you. This is in regards to mental health. This is in regards to your sin. It's in regards to your hurt. Jesus does not return you. You were paid for. You were bought Your identity is now completely changed. Different blood flows through you because of that. People that commit suicide do not go to hell. People say, well, it's because the last thing that they did was sin. Okay, the last thing you do is going to be sin. We live in a sinful world. You're going to sin. So we need to break this idea that we have of God in our minds that He's just like this dictator. And as soon as we mess up, He's like, "Uh, no. Swipe, you know, we'll send them somewhere else. We'll send them somewhere else. No, that is not God's heart for you. God's heart is so for you. And you've been adopted. And he doesn't want to return you. He loves you. You are a part of his family now. The Bible says he's never going to leave you, which is a physical thing, but he's also never going to forsake you, which is, an, which is an emotional thing. He's never gone. He's always right next to us. I want to tell you a very gross story as we begin to close. This is disgusting. <laughs> One time I was leading worship at a... Corn planter closes ears. <laughs> I was leading worship at a, at a kid's camp in New Mexico. And I laid down to go to sleep. And suddenly, I woke up the next morning, 
and the sheets around my legs were covered in blood. And so I was like, what in the world? And so I throw my, my sheets off, and my left foot is bleeding profusely out of the top, okay? The top of my foot is bleeding. What? <laughs> so I'm looking at this thing like, what in the world just happened? Like, I was sleeping. Nothing, I didn't do anything. And I thought, in my brain, I thought, okay, I just got bit by a mosquito or, you know, crazy mosquito or something. And so I just go, I just go the whole day. And I just, I just keep on moving, you know, lead worship that day, come back that night, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, both feet bleeding profusely out of the top. There's holes that are forming in the top of my foot, and blood is coming out of it. And I'm sitting here looking, thinking, what, what is this? I thought I got bit by a spider or a, a, a Dracula. I don't know what it is. I'm just, I'm just confused as to why my feet are bleeding on the top. The bottom of my feet, maybe I stepped on something. The top of my feet, I don't walk that way. I don't know how that, how that would have happened. And so finally, I, I go to the doctor. I can't even put on shoes. My feet hurt so bad. And so I see the nurse at this camp. And we had a couple of nurses. One of them was from Lubbock. One of them was from Abilene. I saw the nurse from Lubbock first. And, okay, disclaimer, I'm about to talk about something. I, don't be offended if, if you disagree with me. Don't be offended whatsoever. There's, this is not biblical. This is personal. This nurse looks at my bleeding feet, looks at the fact that I can't even put on shoes because my feet hurt so bad, and she leans over, and she says, I've got some essential oils I want to put on. So she pulls out peppermint and lavender and starts rubbing these essential oils on my feet. I'm looking at this woman like, are you kidding me? <laughs> my feet probably need to be cut off. Like, this essential oils is not going to do anything. I believe that sometimes essential oils can help you do things. If you take essential oils, again, I'm not, this is not a curse. This is not, I'm not saying you're wrong. This is me saying my feet did not need essential oils. My feet needed a doctor. <laughs> and so this other nurse comes up, and she leans, the one from Abilene, she leans up and she goes, I'm going to call you in a prescription. <laughs> I said, thank you. So I had cellulitis is what it was, and it was coming out of my feet. I had no idea what it was. It was disgusting. I hope I never have it. My dad actually has it right now. He, he got it right before he went to Israel, which is horrible. But my point in telling you this disgusting story is there is treatment that works for some situations and doesn't work for another situation. If your feet are bleeding, you don't want essential oils. If you have a headache or you're having trouble sleeping, that's when you want essential oils. When your feet is bleeding, are bleeding, you don't. There is right treatment for the right illness. When you are struggling, and I'm going to tell you something, this is not just an emotional thing. It is an illness. There is, it, you're not making things up. It is a real struggle. But there is real healing. There is real healing that can occur. There is things that God wants to use to help you. So don't use, the wrong, don't use the wrong ingredient. Don't put essential oils on something that needs a doctor. God wants to heal you. He wants to be a part of healing you. So let him. If he wants to heal you using a counselor, using a therapist, using antidepressants, it's okay to let him. He wants to heal you. Don't put essential oils on cellulitis. Just don't. There's not one thing about you that Jesus doesn't care about. Not one single thing. Jesus didn't just die so you could get into heaven. He died so that you could bring heaven down and live like it here. Okay, that's why he died for you. So don't settle. He wants to be a part of your healing. He, we're all in this process. I completely missed one of the verses. Are you kidding me? Let's read this real fast. This is, perf this is a perfect time to throw it in. Second Thessalonians. Sorry about that. 
I don't know where I missed that. Second First Thess- Thessalonians 5. 23, it says this, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The Lord is in the process of healing you, and He is faithful, and He will do it. He doesn't let go on His promises. His promises are always yes and amen. He will come through. But sometimes it's on us to say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need help. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Jesus, I need help. There's not one part of you he doesn't care about. So my sister Sarah is one of my favorite people in the whole world, and she struggles with this. So she writes about it. I read you the first few lines of her, of her note on suicide, and I want to read you that again, and then I want to read you the rest of it. A live monster chokes me with memories of mirrors and mistakes. I so clearly see the desperate little girl I used to be. Black eyes, black heart, black is my color. Monster takes my mind, voice loudly taunting, yesterday flaunting, a word written in condemnation, perverse and yellowed with cessation. Guilt. My door is bolted shut with me shut in, worthless, he whispers. Please get me out. His friends join him. Useless. Needless, hopeless die. As one they mock, surrender. Choking on my past, I hear one gentle voice. He does nothing but lie. Please, don't you see? You only have one identity. You are loved. You are desired. You are died for. You are paid for. Hope is your store. You are a fighter. You are victorious. You are known. You are believed in. You are planned for. You are sung over, danced with, and held when you cry. Meant to be my design set free. But most importantly, love, you are mine. He whispers, taunts, and yells in fear because he sees who you really are. A winner, a fighter, a gift, a reflection of my life, my love, my hope. May you always bear my cup. And when you hear his voice so loud and condemning, my love, tell him, I am, says, shut up. There's hope. There is hope for healing. You don't have to struggle alone. There's people here that that love you and that want to be a part of this journey with you, that want to see your healing. You don't have to suffer in silence anymore. There is hope. And you have people that will come alongside you and that when the enemy starts to speak things, we'll rise up and we'll say, you shut up. You shut your mouth. You are not alone, and you weren't meant to be alone. If you know someone who's hurting, you need to encourage them. Encourage them to get help. Encourage them to seek help. It is not a bad thing. You need to love them through it. Be with them through it. Go to coffee with them through it. Get all sorts burritos with them through it. Be there. Also, I want to tell you a little bit about a couple of, of resources, and then I'm done. One, there's a suicide hotline number that, that is always open. If you begin to struggle, you begin to have thoughts you shouldn't have. It's, that number, there's people that always answer that number. And if you want to know that number, I will gladly tell you. And I will gladly pray with you. There is people that want to be there for you. I want to tell you about Mercy Ministries. So my sister Sarah, she struggled a lot, okay? She still struggles, but she struggled a lot. 
she went to a place called Mercy Ministries. It's based out of Tennessee. There's also one in Louisiana. I can't remember where the other one is. But this is a ministry for, for ladies uh, that, that they can go and they can find the healing that they need to have. Let me tell you what. Sarah, who I guarantee you is watching right now, and she has given me permission to say all of this. So don't worry. But Sarah, before Mercy Ministries, was a mess. And not just because she struggled with anxiety and depression. She was mean. I remember her saying things to me that she should never have said. I was like, are you kidding me? You're my sister. But after Mercy Ministries, she was a completely different person. She found help and she found healing. And she is more whole now than she ever has been. There is resources available for you, okay? Also, Sarah has told me she would love to talk to anybody who's struggling with that. So if you are, come talk to me and let's, let's get you connected to resources. You're not alone, and you weren't meant to be alone. Don't let shame creep in. Let's stand against it. Let's break the silence on mental health and mental illness, and, le- and let's fight it head on. Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful for who you are. God, we thank you that you never punish us for our hurt. You never punish us for our struggle, Lord, but that you always just draw near. God, I pray. I pray over the brokenhearted. I pray for the anxious. I pray for... The, those that are struggling with depression, God, and I just pray that you would be near. We need you near. You are so good and you are so faithful and we are so in love with you. Thank you for the ways that you love us and the ways that you care for us. And God, I just pray that that if this is the message we needed, Lord, I pray that you would sink it deep in our hearts, the truth of your word and the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.